Welcome to Transition Talk, a podcast series by Accenture, where it's all about our energy needs in the future. In this second episode, we discuss district heating. In addition to green gas and electricity, another way to heat our homes sustainably. What about the rollout of district heating in the Netherlands? What ambitions do we have and what challenges do we face and how to overcome them? And what can we learn from best practices so far? My name is Maria Punch and I've invited three frontrunners. They know everything about this particular part of the energy transition. Erik Stronk, the chairman of the Dutch foundation Warmte Netwerk. Johnny Hesp, he's Accenture's expert in district heating. And Arno van Gestel, director sales heat Vattenfall in the Netherlands. Let's talk about heat networks. Every day at home and at work, human activity generates enormous amounts of waste. It piles up very quickly. It's a good thing that we can recover the energy it contains and use it for district heating. In our new combined heat and power plant in Jutagen, we produce electricity and heat. Efficient and environmentally friendly district heating brings locally produced energy to cities and urban areas. A warm welcome to you all, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to have you here in the transition talk. Um, Johnny, I'd like to start with you. Uh, we're going to go into details, but first of all, would you just briefly set the scene? What is district heating? Um, well, a district heating network um, is actually a system where a, a central generation unit, so think about uh, fossil fuels like uh, gas or coal, um, but also renewable um, fuels like wood or solar or geothermal, any heat source can be used. Also residual heat sources from industrial clients. Um, and the network of the, the heat of that source is actually distributed through a network to consumers. Um, that can be houses, that can be commercial, um, etc. Right. Um, and the network is under the ground, uh, insulated pipes, right? Indeed, yes. From one central location, towards connecting houses or, as you said, perhaps utility buildings? To, to multiple clients, yes. Um, and it originated actually in, in the well early 19th century, late 19th century in the, in the US, um, where the first district heating network was actually built based on um, a coal-fired system. Right. Um, today we're in the fifth generation, and actually you see if you go through the generation from the f- first to the, to the fifth, um, that the temperature that's operated in the networks is actually lowered over time, um, which has um, a positive impact on the efficiency of the networks. Right. What could you say briefly about the, the preconditions? I can imagine in a rural area, perhaps it's a no-go, uh, but uh, in a more densely populated area, what are good conditions for district heating? Yeah, so I think, as you say, first and foremost, it's, well, the heat requirement. There should be a certain base of heat requirement in the um, in the area. Um, the second one is, of course, whether there is maybe a, a very cheap source of heat. Think about residual heat from, uh, from industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's also another one, and that's probably, well, less known. But if you, for example, have a very dense city center mm-hmm. um, where a gas connection is a serious risk in case of fire. Huh? So right. um, I myself live in Zutphen and it's very, well, it's a very dense built center, very old buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, so very uh, flammable. Um, you don't want to have a gas connection there. 
um, and therefore a district heating network might uh, well overcome that risk of fire. Yeah. Um, Arno, I'd like to bring you um, in the conversation. Um, Johnny already mentioned a few uh, different uh, sources in, in district heating. Um, you know, is, are there more options there? Uh, I've read about like data centers. So, so what is the mix? Could you tell a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Johnny mentioned some already, uh, as you say. Um, yeah, what we do see is that there are multiple heat sources, of, so, of course, available. Uh, you see a lot of waste incineration, which is uh, with, with residual heat, which is made available for district heating networks as well as uh, from uh, electricity plants. Right. And moreover, you see now nowadays also in the ambition to further uh, create sustainability in, in the networks that other uh, res- sustainable heat sources are being integrated into the system, like data centers, for example, as you said, but also uh, aquathermy. Uh, biomass, deep geothermal uh, heat as well. Mm-hmm. All kind of possibilities to further increase sustainability of heat networks. Yeah. And do we usually see like one main source that covers, let's say, 70, 80% and then uh, little bits added? Or what, what is the sort of percentage? Yeah, that's what you see. Uh, what you do see is mainly uh, district heating networks being developed from one central larger source mm-hmm. uh, which covers then uh, 80% of the heat demand of the of the homes connected uh, and then you can add new and, and sustainable heat sources to that network uh, for example here in Amsterdam we have uh, several uh, new heat sources feeding into the system uh, since 2011 uh, a, a, a fermentation company called Orgerwild in the Western Hub area feeds in uh, heat into our system which is mainly supplied by the waste incineration of IAB uh, but then, moreover, this Orga world produces uh, heat, uh, 3 megawatts of heat, mm-hmm. which is a const- constant uh, feed-in into our system. Last year, we realized a solar roof on top of one of our clients here in Amsterdam, which is now also feeding into the system. And we are researching these kinds of, uh, of possibilities with partners like data center heat, right. aquathermy, uh, and others. Yeah, that brings the question of how sustainable um, district heating really is. Yeah. Um, would you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, that depends a lot of the heat source. Mm. Uh, if you look into heat networks over the country and, and maybe even international, when you use, uh, for example, a gas-fired uh, boiler in the basement of a, of a complex, mm-hmm. which has been done in the past by housing corporations, for example, a lot, then you see that this does not do much for sustainability. But when you look into larger district heat networks nowadays, uh, you see that, moreover, the, the CO2 reduction of all those networks is average between 50 and 80 percent compared to individual gas-fired boilers in, in the homes. Okay. Um, so you see that a lot of differentiation between the different networks can happen. Uh, and what you also see is that in the new heat act, there is a regulation upcoming in order to further increase up until 2050 with the climate ambitions we do have mm-hmm. to further intensify this and to have CO2 neutral heating in the district heat networks as well, uh, as it is in the, in the electricity grid by that time, it should be. Uh, so in order to increase sustainability, these rules are coming in. And you also see already investments happening in further upgrading sustainability. Yeah, because 2050 is, is an important deadline. I think we'll talk about that a little bit uh, further down the road. Um, Eric, could you tell us a bit about um, what are the projects uh, with regards to district heating for the coming years? Yeah, well, there, there are a lot of projects currently uh, uh, in preparation or in execution. Here, with all the focus in the Netherlands on the energy transition, uh, you see uh, uh, dozens of, of projects throughout uh, the Netherlands, smaller and larger projects, um, uh, building new grids um, or uh, expanding existing grids. 
and um, I think that that um, uh, one of the, the the projects I particularly like is in the northern part of Netherlands in uh, in Leeuwarden. It's uh, I think the biggest uh, uh, new project in the Netherlands where uh, geothermal uh, source will be the primary source, and we will be connecting, or they will be connecting mm-hmm. uh, thousands of households in the city center of Leeuwarden also large uh, companies, uh, hospital, etc. Right. Uh, so that's really uh, from ground up building a new grid with a super uh, sustainable source. So um, that's one of the nice examples. Right, because you mentioned geothermal warmth or as a source. Yeah. That is uh, warmth that comes from the earth. Yeah, that uh, comes from uh, kilometers uh, depth, so a high temperature warmth coming from uh, from the earth, yes. Right. Now, I know also that you mentioned Leeuwarden, but uh, when you get um, colleagues coming from abroad, uh, you like to take them to Enschede. Why is that? Well, en- Enschede is another nice example um, uh, where um, you see multiple sustainable sources um, uh, in an existing grid. So um, yeah, the, the, the heat traditionally comes from uh, waste and um, they now build a biomass plant. Uh, they are looking into other sustainable sources. And apart from uh, adding new and more sustainable sources to an existing grid, you also see a, a huge expansion of the existing grid into new areas. Um, so. It's, it's, it's a nice example of, mm-hmm. of how we uh, can um, execute the, the energy transition mm-hmm. um, by using district heating networks. Right, with different sources. Yes, yeah. and, and also not, not different sources, but they become more sustainable in time. So it's, it's an example of the transition you make from a less sustainable source to a more sustainable source. In, 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 in the coming years. Right. Back to Arno. Um, we talk about district heating a little bit as if it's a funky new thing, but it really isn't. It's been you know, around for a while, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's still funky, <laughs> um, but not new. No, that's true. Uh, Johnny also already mentioned uh, somewhere in the in 19th century in America, I think the Romans already did something in this uh, with aqueducts and, and et cetera for, for their ba- bathing uh, rooms. Um, but in the Netherlands, we are talking about uh, Utrecht as the first example of this heating in the Netherlands yeah. uh, in the 1920s of, uh, of last uh, century, of course, wow. um, uh, which has had then been built already. And we see uh, an upscale actually in, in district heating networks in the 70s and 80s of, uh, of, uh, of last uh, century uh, with new builds like, for example, in Almere with the new coming of the, of the new province uh, being connected to district heating networks instead of gas. Yeah, and when, when did we really seriously start investing? Yeah, I think that would, would be then in the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. uh, like I said just now. Uh, and what you do see is that in the years, uh, this heating substantially growed, yeah. uh, but in a, in a moderate pace, I would say. And the last years, and that's maybe where the funky new thing comes in, uh, we are talking about phasing out natural gas in the Netherlands. Uh, due to several reasons, of course, climate, but also scarcity and mm-hmm. earthquakes, of course. In, in Groningen. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, you see an, a really new debate in this climate agreement, of course, that we want to move away from natural gas as the main means of heating in the Netherlands, in the households. Uh, and then 
what kind of options do you have? Uh, and then district heating comes in uh, as a possibility, especially in dense uh, city centers, uh, to connect buildings to district heating and getting away from this natural gas. Right. Um, Johnny, um, a professor of sustainable entrepreneurship, Andy van der Dobbelsteen, he was recently uh, featured in Nieuwsuur and uh, he said something interesting. He said, we must stop connecting new built homes to district heating with high temperatures. What's going on there? Yes, well, maybe some background on why he says something like this. Um, Well, if you have old houses like 30, 40 years ago, they were built uh, using a system that requires high temperatures, right? They had these thermal radiators on the wall, and that's what you use to um, heat your house. And that typically uses a temperature around 80, 90 degrees, something like that. If you look at the new built houses, they probably have floor warming, are far better um, insulated, etc. Uh, so they typically require a temperature of around, well, 30, 40 degrees to heat the house to a, a well, ambient level. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to, well, connect a high temperature source to a low temperature requirement, uh, you're actually, well, wasting a lot of heat, that's one. Uh, but also probably in time when we're going to towards 2050, um, there will be not enough high temperature heating available to connect all the existing houses that actually require a high temperature. Okay. So that's probably the background of, well, his statement. Yeah. And do you agree with him? Well, <laughs> partly, yes. Uh, um, I think he has a point there. Right? We have mm-hmm. to be very conscious about how much high temperature heat do we have and where can we use it in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think if we look at the new generation methods eh, for deep, ge- deep geothermal, we can go, well, very deep, get high temperatures. But if you go to the shallow geothermal, uh, the heat pumps, you mm-hmm. get a lower temperature, which is probably better suitable for the new build. Right. So it's, it's, it's a matter of uh, continuing the supply in the long term. Uh, is it also a matter of having the technique of being able to shift between those temperatures? And do we um, ha- do we have the technique yes, in place? Uh, yes, yeah? we, we certainly have the techniques. So mm-hmm. like heat pumps to work up from a lower temperature to a higher temperature, um, etc. Um, we're also working with international clients that don't have one district heating network, but multiple district heating networks in the same range with different temperatures. So high temperature, medium and low temperature network, uh, depending on the requirements of the actual build, etc. Um, I think especially in this area, it, it's, we are already doing this for ages. Um, so technology will never be an issue. Uh, um, however, uh, how we connect it, how we build it and whether we want to invest in it, I think that's the, that's the key question. Right. Um, Arno, I know that Vattenfall is also involved uh, in a project in Amsterdam, I believe, with, um, with high temperature. How do you feel about this, uh, this issue? Uh, well, I don't see it as an issue. I see it as a debate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and the, the networks we use, uh, not only in Amsterdam, but actually the most the current networks, heat networks in the Netherlands, uh, are uh, what we call mid-temperature. So not high temperature, which is normally on 90 degrees, uh, uh, flow towards the houses and 70 degrees from the houses. Uh, in normal situations in current heat networks, we use 70 as a, as a, a flow towards the homes and then 40s in a return. And we do see and we do think that this is really fitting both for new build as for existing build. Um, because especially for the new build, uh, dom- the dominance of hot tap water is actually m- increasing because of there's lower space heating required in those well-insulated houses, of course. Mm-hmm. But then you see that the dominance, almost 50% of the uh, the, the, the the need for heating is not 
more space heating, but it's hot tap water. And for hot tap water, you do need 60 degrees or higher in order to have a healthy situation uh, in case of Legionella. Right. Um, uh, what we do think is that you should not discuss that much about high or low temperature. I never heard a client of mine talk about, okay, my temperature should be lower or my temperature should be higher. Uh, what people want is comfort. Mm-hmm. And what, do you, what you should do is, I think, is look really into the heat sources available in the city. Um, you should look into a high temperature heat source. You should look into a low temperature heat source and then see, okay, what does the future bring? Uh, what do we expect for, uh, in, in developing in the coming years? And what we do think is that with so, such a mid-temperature system that you are both able to connect new build as well as existing homes mm-hmm. and also quite efficiently can use high temperature uh, heat sources as well as low temperature heat sources to feed in. I like this aquathermal, what I talked about before, data center heat, solar heat, all heat sources that are low temperature but could fit in or are feeding in already mm-hmm. into heating systems, uh, upgrading the sustainability further. So I, I really do believe that we should make local plans, see what's the possibilities, where, and how could you use those uh, sources in the best sustainable way. You're listening to Transition Talk, a podcast series by Accenture about the future of energy. And in this episode, we discuss district heating. Joining me are Arno van Gestel, Director Sales Heat Vattenfall in the Netherlands, Erik Stronk of the Dutch Foundation Warmte Netwerk, and Johnny Hesp from Accenture. He's an expert in district heating. Now, we already heard a bit about district heating, what it is, what the possibilities are. We've talked a bit about the sources being used. Uh, I'd like to talk further with you about ambitions and challenges, and there are quite a lot. Um, Eric, I'd like to ask you if we like to get an estimate of how many houses in the Netherlands right now are connected to district heating. Could you give us an idea? Yeah, and a couple of hundred thousand uh, households connected to the different district heating networks uh, throughout the Netherlands. Somewhere uh, between 400,000, 500,000 households. There's a, a large uh, district heating network here in Amsterdam, uh, Rotterdam, uh, The Hague, Utrecht, Breda, Tilburg area. There are Those are the la- largest uh, grids. Mm-hmm. And then uh, tens of smaller grids with uh, a thousand or a couple of hundred uh, customers connected. Mm-hmm. And if we think of the potential, where are we going? I mean, what is feasible? Yeah, the potential is huge. And uh, luckily also in the, in the energy transition, all the uh, research uh, shows that the potential of district heating in the coming years is, uh, is huge. And the, the numbers of households uh, differ uh, between uh, uh, the several reports uh, mm-hmm. on, on the energy transition. But uh, somewhere between one and a half million to two and a half million uh, households could be connected to district heating mm-hmm. uh, so that's that's a huge growth to be expected in the coming years yeah um, what would be the total um, amount of households in the Netherlands just to put things a little bit in perspective because it sounds like a lot but yeah there are a total some some seven plus million households in the Netherlands mm-hmm. and if we look into the research that the PBL did uh, they predict that there will be somewhere between one and a half million to two and a half million, three million households connected in the future to district heating networks, all kind of sizes, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So that's one quarter, one third of the total household population in the the Netherlands. That's what they predict. Yeah. Is that the max, do you think? 
Yeah, I, I do agree with these numbers. Uh, if you look uh, on a broad perspective to the landscape in the Netherlands, and, and, and we talked about before about density in uh, cities that could be connected to district heating, whereas rural areas, it's much less likable that mm-hmm. you will connect to district heating and that you should look for alternatives for natural gas and individual solutions. Yeah. Uh, then I think this is, a, this is a number that comes somewhere in the, in the range where we will go in the end. Johnny, do you agree? Yes, I agree. I think that a district heating network is an essential step in the energy transition we're facing. Um, But I have my doubt on the long term, because if we look at electricity and gas, um, we see that where everybody is today on a collective system, uh, we see more and more trend to decentralized systems um, that is actually, uh, um, well, uh, um, catalyzed by lower cost for technology um, and people want to be, well, um, steering their own faith. Um, I think that a similar tendency will happen in uh, the district heating uh, networks. Arno, you would like to react? Yeah, actually, I do agree with this the tendency towards decentralizing. Uh, and actually, what we do see and what we also would like to promote is that we more cooperate with local initiatives in order to have this integration of different systems and of people also investing probably in their own district, in, in their own heating methods and connecting for backup and, and security supply to a larger district heating network. So I, I fully agree. Um, so the households that are already connected to district heating, do your research at Vattenfall, uh, you know, how people feel? Are, are they happy? Are they unhappy? What is their so-called client experience? Yeah, we do. We do at Vattenfall. We do perform this. Uh, an external research company does this for us twice a year. Research is satisfaction of our customers and what they do give us back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see actually a, a positive trend there. Uh, the most recent research showed that the customers give us a seven and a half out of a scale on a scale of ten. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, quite good, and it has been increasing last year at a stable line, I would say. Uh, And what they do give us back is that they especially, because one of the major items that uh, customers give back to us is price and the the height of the price, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And what we see is that the stable and low price policy, which we used last years, really did increase satisfaction. We see that people are more satisfied with this Mm -hmm. uh, as well, but that it has been already in a long year, uh, the reliability of the system and the service we provide. Right. Which is really valued as one of the most and, and top items by our customers that there's hardly any interruption in the system. And if there's interruption, that they are helped quickly and in a good manner. Right. Um, Eric, right now it's the case that um, if you would like as a, let's say I'm a home owner and I, I would like to have district heating, I can't just get it, can I? No, you can't. No. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're in the lucky situation that there's a district heating network in your area. Exactly. So I live in Amsterdam, just outside of the inner city. Um, how does that work? Um, you know, there is, a, there is a monopoly position right now, is there? Yep, there is. Yeah. And uh, that will probably stay that way in the coming period throughout the Netherlands. Uh, you see some changes in the uh, heat law coming up. Uh, uh, also in the energy transition, uh, municipalities are thinking about uh, which areas they uh, want to 
um, uh, converge to district heating, mm-hmm. and they will probably um, have something like a well, what we call a beauty contest of, <laughs> of uh, providers to to pitch for a certain area. Right. Um, so there will be um, uh, multiple uh, companies pitching for for an area, mm-hmm. but once there's an er- uh, a company selected, it will be a local monopoly. Right, right. And would you like to see that change in the, in the next few years? Well, the, the, uh, I always think that, that it's a good thing to have a market, uh, um, uh, an open market, mm-hmm, open mm-hmm. networks. Uh, but looking at the scale of district heating with only thousands of households connected to a kind of micro system. So yeah. uh, 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 um, it's, it's not possible to have an open market there. So I think it's a good thing that uh, you pitch for an area, uh, but then you have to do it very efficiently to 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 be able to have a good sustainable source, to have a business continuity to both the customers and and the company running uh, the district heating and network. Yeah, and we're simply not there yet. Agree. Yeah. And 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 it's not only that we're not there yet, mm. but uh, looking at at, at the world uh, and the, um, there nowhere there are truly open uh, district he- heating uh, networks. It's um, so local monopolies is also part of 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 district heating networks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now there is an interesting project to talk about the Start Motor uh, here in the Netherlands, launched uh, this spring. An ambitious plan to make existing housing uh, more sustainable. Um, Johnny, I'm not sure if you were involved or if you know about the project, um, but is is this the type of project that really helps things forward? Do you think? Well, I think yes, it's it's a good step and it helps mm-hmm. uh, certainly. It also shows on what is possible if everybody well. Um, aims at the same uh, goals. Yeah. Um, so I think therefore it's a, it's a good project to start and it's a showcase for what can be further developed. Mm-hmm. Do you agree, uh, uh, Eric? Yeah, I fully yeah. agree. Uh, start Motor is, is a, a project together with housing corporations and traditionally housing corporations uh, are the partners for district heating companies to, to develop uh, heat grids. Uh, because they have a lot of households uh, which they can connect in one go, in one project, to a district heating network. Mm-hmm. And, and now with this agreement uh, on a national scale, uh, the, so the Start Motor Agreement will definitely drive the transition. Yeah, because there is uh, money involved from the national government, I believe. And also uh, it's connecting to district heating and, uh, Arno, I'm looking at you, uh, combining that with insulating houses. So it's like a a double win. Yeah, it is. Uh, It's a logical agreement between housing corporation and heating companies. Uh, Boombond, which is representative of the renters in the Netherlands, uh, uh, the municipalities, but also the government was involved because it's part of the climate agreement, of course. Uh, and I really think that by making these um, uh, larger scale agreement with these kind of parties uh, and actually taking some of the topics that are on all local tables discussing district heating connection uh, to these uh, houses of housing corporations, uh, I do think we can get really get a good kickstart and then help by the subsidy, of course, which you mentioned already uh, of the government uh, for connecting these houses to district heating networks. We already see that a lot of uh, subsidy has been asked for by the housing corporations, mm-hmm. and we really see speeding up in, in practice. 
uh, of these talks with housing corporations. Um, Johnny, um, you said like the Start Motor is a project where you see uh, a lot of parties working together successfully and that that brings results. Um, would you like to see an, an even more active government here in the Netherlands? Yes and no. I think it, it depends a bit on which projects you're talking about. Um, so I think uh, in any case, some sort of support from the government is necessary all the time. Mm-hmm. In Scandinavia, they can also do it well uh, on their own, try to develop uh, sustainable things. And I think also in the Netherlands, if you look at uh, the, the local energy corporations we have, um, you see them well creating plans on uh, um, um, sustainable developments like district heating networks and, and going with these plans to the government saying, hey, this is what we actually want, and, and can we get your support? So it's actually both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, the government has to set the right framework, uh, but also well, citizens and corporations can come up with good ideas and go to the government saying, this is actually what I need. Um, I think to add to Arno's point, uh, so most of the district heating networks are developed in the 1970s, 1980s, uh, when the market was totally different, right? Mm-hmm. Today we are liberalized, so there are much more parties involved in developing uh, a heat network. Um, so where it formerly was uh, only the government that well actually owned the energy supply and supplied the energy to the consumers, um, today it's, uh, well, Companies uh, like Vattenfall, like Ennertuurlijk, uh, um, who are developing and operating heat networks. It's a local government, it's a client, it's builders, etc., etc. So the, the market is far more complex at, at this moment. Hmm. Um, Eric, you talk to all these people, you, you sit at the table with them. Um, is, there, is there a way of working more efficiently together or is that just really hard if there's so many of you? Yeah, developing a district heating network is is pretty complex uh, Mm -hmm. indeed with a lot of uh, stakeholders. Uh, It's it's definitely different than electricity or or a gas grid to be developed because it's always a a closed loop where there should be a balance of the heat, uh, so the availability of sustainable heat Mm -hmm. and the offtake, it should be in balance. Uh, and then there are a lot of stakeholders attached to that. Uh, I think that it will become more efficient um, once there's clarity um, with the new uh, heat law coming up, mm-hmm. when uh, the government is is truly clear about the market position of some of the stakeholders, when it's clear to everybody that the RES, mm-hmm. the regional energy strategy, which has to be developed by uh, municipalities, when that's Uh, defined and out in the open together with uh, the heat law together with subsidies etc then the the market is more clear to everybody Mm -hmm. we also will be able to work more efficiently together and to move slightly faster yeah because there's a lot of uh, unclarity um, which slows things down yeah yeah Um, we haven't talked so much yet about the business case and um what everybody says is it's it's quite complex to connect to district heating. It's fairly expensive, relatively expensive. And basically, you don't earn any money the first 10 years and you need subsidy. <laughs> is that oversimplifying, perhaps, Arno? No, you're spot on. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit oversimplifying. Uh, of course, the business case for transition is always a difficult one, I think. Uh, coming from a situation, and I, I, re- I start repeating myself from natural gas and everybody comparing to natural gas and the cost of natural gas and staying with the same you always had. 
then of course costs are low or costs are high for connecting to something else um, and staying is, 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 is the best option then in, in case you, you don't want to move mm-hmm. um, but if you look into the possibilities we do have for making the transition in the existing built in the Netherlands I do think that district heating compared to other options in this case and connecting uh, all the buildings to the networks is, is one of the more uh, feasible options I would say between the options to choose mm-hmm. and then still you have to, to look into the possibilities how to get the business case close to all parties uh, what we did in the start motor is actually that we took the starting point at the renters uh, from the housing corporate we said okay the renters should be at cost neutrality we want to cover that because otherwise we get in all these discussions on local level and we will never get there where we want and the speed up we want um, but taken from there, we need to discuss with the local government, with the housing corporation, okay, how can we do this? How can we efficiently uh, connect those houses? What can we do in innovation? Uh, mm-hmm. How can we uh, have more cooperation with uh, building companies, with insulation companies? Um, and, and how to get innovative ways in getting into these houses? Because that's, in most cases, in existing buildings, one of the, uh, the largest uh, 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 things to do for us. Uh, mm-hmm. we, what, what we do see in, when we go into existing homes, uh, we do see that there's a lot of different places where now the, the gas-fired boilers is hanging mm-hmm. from cupboards in, 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 in sleeping rooms uh, above uh, stairways yeah. uh, to uh, if, you, if you're lucky in front somewhere near the front door where you can connect it quite easily. And all these, all these houses need to be connected in some way or another to a, a, a new heating system, albeit district heating or another. Yeah. And that's the major challenge we have. So yeah. we need innovative ways. We need innovative research to see, okay, how can we do this? We need to experience and practice. How can we do this in the right manner? And then I think we can also make the business case for all parties more viable. Sure. Johnny, do you see options for reducing costs in terms of like technical innovation? Um, is there, are there, do you see opportunities there? Yes, of course. Um, I think that over time, cost will reduce. We see that on all kinds of technologies. So think about, for example, solar thermal. Uh, cost has come down over the, couple, over the last years, but will come down even further. Um, we will see that for geothermal as well. Eh? So, well, um, we think geothermal is some kind of holy grail. Uh, but if you look at the amount of projects, at least in the Netherlands, that have been developed on geothermal and are successful at the moment, um, well, um, I think we're currently on the first that is developed, um, or at least uh, the first ones. Um, none have, has been successful because, well, we don't have any experience with them. Right. Um, so there's a lot of risk involved. And, mm. well, risk translates into cost, of course. Um, so we will see that if we have more experience over time with different and new innovative technologies, uh, that risk will come down and therefore cost will come down. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit abstract, at least for me, um, in terms of like what does it actually cost? So maybe we can make that a little bit more insightful by comparing, let's say, connecting uh, 100,000 households um, existing versus newly built houses in a new neighborhood area. Could you like put a number on that? Well, we have the not more than else principle in the Netherlands, which actually means that uh, the cost for the district heating for the user should not be more than in the normal well, uh, an alternative situation, which yeah. is a gas-fired house. Uh, but you should not only think about your gas bill, it's also all the other costs you have. So sure. if you build a typical house, you need, well, a gas connection, uh, um, you need to buy the gas, uh, you need to have a gas boiler, you have annual maintenance, etc., etc. All these costs need to be taken into account. 
Um, and I've been in a situation before, before I worked at Accenture, I actually worked at a district heating company. And um, I've been in situations where I had to defend the cost to uh, um, actual users of district heating networks. Um, Face-to-face. Uh, yeah, face-to-face. <laughs> yeah, and at that room, time, yeah. there was not much transparency on how the cost buildup was, right? So um, I think, well, if uh, um, um, companies are open on these type of, well, how is the cost buildup? Uh, how does it compare one to another? Um, I think that will already help a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think a, a long story short, um, it's never more than it should be in uh, the gas situation. Mm. Would you like to add, Erik? Well, the, there's, I think, another aspect uh, um, uh, there. And, and that's the fact that gas should not longer be the reference. Uh, because we have to make an energy transition and, and the fossil fuel of gas is no longer available. So you have to look at all the sustainable options and then compare uh, apples with apples. And right. uh, then looking at, at the cost of district heating, it can um, definitely stand the, uh, the, um, uh, the, the comparison between sustainable options and it will come out as one of the most efficient ones. Right. Now it's time to conclude this episode of Transition Talk. Uh, I have one question uh, for all three of you. Um, what would you say is the key ingredient that could really move forward district heating in the Netherlands? Just one. I'm going to be a bit strict. Arno, let's start with you. Just one. <laughs> And then it would be, let's get started. We don't have any time to waste. Thank you. Erik? Oh, for me, it's cooperation. Uh, the challenges are so huge. And, and in, in, instead of uh, trying to, 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 to uh, do it in a competition way, to, um, uh, let's work together and join forces. Johnny? Yeah, I'm, I'm fully aligned with Eric. It's, it's cooperation, but also I have a, well, a good legislation in place and also a good rule description of the different rules that are required to have a successful implementation of heat networks. Thank you all very much. Um, Arno van Gestel, Director Sales Heat Vattenfall in the Netherlands. Erik Stronk of the Foundation Warmte Netwerk. And Johnny Hesp from Accenture. My name is Maria Punch. Thank you for listening to Transition Talk, a podcast series by Accenture. Also check our other episode about hydrogen. We will be back soon. In the meantime, stay safe, be sustainable. Bye.